loss had happened for them maybe later in life and you know there was no social media um internet was in its infancy so connecting with other people going through the same thing as me just wasn't there um you know unless you had gone to a specialist school um specifically for the visually impaired then you had no other contact with anyone going through what you were going through You are listening to the She Is A VIP podcast. This is a show created for women living with or caring for someone who is visually impaired. The She Is A VIP community is made up of women who believe that their VIP status stretches far beyond their visual impairment. We are a community who understand that we are very important people who hold a very important place in the world and that we have a very important purpose to fulfill. I'm Bambi French, and if you are ready to shine a light on your status as a VIP, download, subscribe, and join me each and every week for the encouragement and inspiration you need to help you step into all that you have been created to be. Hi, it's Bambi and welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. This is the podcast and community that has been designed especially for blind and visually impaired women and aims to inspire, encourage and empower all who consider themselves to be part of this community, helping you to discover your purpose and reach your potential in spite of the limitations you face. Check out the links in the show notes of this episode to find out how you can get involved with what's going on in the She Is A VIP community. This week, I'm talking to Louise Plunkett, married mum of two who is navigating life with Stargardt's and chronic illness. Louise has taken time to reflect on her experiences of living with sight loss and chronic illness, parenting with a disability, and is now working on developing her skills so that she can have a positive impact in the lives of other women with similar conditions. Let's get into today's episode. Okay. Hi, Lou. Welcome to the She is a VIP podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's been oh, like six months before we've actually managed to get on together. <laughs> no, we, we, we were just saying, weren't we, that it's taken us so long to, to get together. And, um, but everything happens in time and for a reason. So we Absolutely. have, we have yeah. managed today. So that, that is really, really good. So, yeah, we're just going to have a conversation today. We're just going to have a, a, a chat as friends and see and see where where the words take. Yeah, see where it goes. <laughs> it goes exactly. <laughs> um, yes, do you want to just start by telling us um, a bit about you um, and you know something about your life and just what you're experiencing at the moment? Yeah, sure. So I am a happily married mum of two boys who are 15 and nine so we've got GCSE year stress ahead of us at the moment um and I have a visual impairment and it's actually the same one as Bambi has yourself so it's Stargardt's um I was finally diagnosed with it at the age of 15 um and it sort of slowly progressed as is the nature of the condition so I guess it's it's shaped my life in in different ways um at the time when I was diagnosed I was very sporty very active on different sports teams at school playing netball and badminton and rounders and all that kind of thing 
but I was finding it more more and more difficult to participate in those sports not understanding why but it was because I couldn't see the netball and I couldn't see the rounders ball and Mm. I couldn't see the shuttlecock so I was getting really frustrated and kind of falling out of love with it but not knowing why and it was only when I was then diagnosed it's like oh that now makes sense um you know I've got this gap in my central vision which I wasn't aware of um you know you think that everybody sees the same as you when you're a child and growing up so yeah it was um kind of everything just sort of stopped when I had that diagnosis um so I carried on through school did my GCSEs um the school were amazing really really supportive um I think I was quite a novelty factor to my peers at school because you know one day I was there and was just Louise and then the next day I had all these like bits of kit with me and magnifying glasses that I pull out of my blazer pocket and binoculars to see the board and you know they'd all end up going around the classroom while everyone had a little look through them just like you know hang on can I have it back please I'd actually quite like to do my work um you know but I was I was a very quiet studious student um had a massive thing looking back now I can see it that um perfectionism I wanted everything to be perfect and that's something that has kind of gone with me throughout life and it's only been in recent years actually that I've been able to let that go so um I actually did an online uh accredited course last year during the summer um on mental health so it was a it was a qualification it's the first time I'd studied in over 20 years and I found it so so hard because I had in my head the way that I had studied when I was at school and when I was at college and I wanted to be able to do it now but my sight has deteriorated so much since then that I was getting really frustrated with you know that I couldn't study how I used to and you know I couldn't write in a book or you know I couldn't write in a straight line or I couldn't read my own handwriting you know it's horrendous now looking back um and it it was letting go of that idea of everything having to be perfect um so yeah that's been quite quite a big shift for me I would say um in recent times but yeah no I did went to school I went to college and did A levels um looked at some universities didn't really know where I wanted to go with my life um I had had visions when I was a child of being a nurse and being a vet um being a car mechanic (laughs) um and then sort of latterly been my teenagers because I loved reading um you know I would devour books all the way through childhood I was just like constantly going to the library getting books out um, I wanted to be a librarian, which is just hilarious. You know, somebody with sight loss, you know, thinks, what the heck would you want to be a librarian for? You can't even read audio. books anymore. I'll <laughs> be an audible librarian. Audio. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, I, you know, I was sort of 17. Yeah, about 17 at the time, was doing my A-levels at college um, and felt that I needed to have something, some kind of sporty activity to do for me, which didn't involve being part of the team because, you know, 20 years ago, sort of the late 90s, um, the contact that I had had with the, with the visually impaired community, everybody was old. 
Mm-hmm. and it was like retirement age and there were a few support groups locally that I went to with my parents um, I'm an only child mm-hmm. so there's no, nobody else in the family with Stargardt's um, you know and it, it was just this I didn't feel like I fitted in I had nothing in common with these people because sight loss had happened for them maybe later in life yeah. and you know there was no social media um, internet was in its infancy so connecting with other people going through the same thing as me just wasn't there um you know unless you had gone to a specialist school um specifically for the visually impaired then you had no other contact with anyone going through what you were going through so I guess for me my kind of adolescence and certainly young adulthood was trying to fit in with everybody else and being in inverted commas normal Mm-hmm. um and just blending in and not not sticking out anyway so I discovered swimming um which was quite ironic because all through my childhood I wasn't allowed to swim because I had glue ear and I'd had grommets and tea tubes and stuff like that so when all the children at school went off for their swimming lessons I just had to sit and watch I wasn't allowed to to partake um so we joined um, a local swimming club, which was for disabled people. So, you know, there was no judgment. They were very supportive. It's very inclusive. And I was spotted by somebody who attended who was involved with a local able-bodied swimming club. Um, So I was kind of taken to one side, given a bit of coaching, was then encouraged to join the swimming club, was then spotted by other people and then said, oh, no, you ought to try some competitions and have more coaching so this kind of went on over a a period of time Um, and I ended up sort of traveling all over the country Um, my parents would take me to various competitions whether it be able-bodied whether it be disabled and my goal at that time was to qualify for the GB team for the Sydney Paralympics in 2000 Mm -hmm. so you know, I was, my times were coming down. I was doing really well. I was being spotted by people, invited to training camps, that type of thing. Um, and it was in the February of nine, six, oh, I'm losing my, yeah, 1999. Um, I did a local competition, had incredible times to qualify me for the trials. Uh, and then two days later, I woke up and I couldn't get out of bed and the long and the short of it was I basically burnt out so after a few months I was diagnosed with ME or chronic fatigue syndrome Um, and that has kind of been me ever since so my dreams of going and representing my country at a Paralympic level just disappeared um, because I've never been able to go back and train at that level again Mm -hmm. um Although I did get a phone call probably a couple of months into my illness um, asking me if I was available to be part of the visually impaired team to go. I can't even remember which country it was in now, but it was the European Championships yeah. um, for the visually impaired. And I was just like, no, because my dad has to pick me up at bed and carry me to the bathroom and sit me on the toilet. So I don't think I can manage to race and represent you so but you know I I had that call up so that's something that I'll always hold on to um but you know everything happens in life for a reason um you know I'm 
a firm believer in that. And it was not long after, probably about six, eight months or so after I became ill. Um, and it was really tough because, you know, I was 18, 19 at the time. Um, and my friends were all going off to uni or they were working and they were going out clubbing at night and you know, they ring me up and say, oh, are you going to come? And I was just like, no, I can't. Yeah. And sort of people just disappeared from my life. So my life became my bedroom and my parents. Yeah. Um, but a little bit further down the line, I then met my now husband, um, you know, and, and life then took a different different course. So, yeah, it's I became, so became a mum. <laughs> yeah, it's so incredible. And I hear your story and you, you need to like... You definitely need to get that written or, or recorded in some way. <laughs> I think I think we all do because actually so much of what you're saying I can completely resonate with. Like, you know, we were diagnosed at the same time. We've 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 figured out that we're only like just about a year apart, you know, in in, in age, um, born in the same in the same month, but we're literally only a year apart. But so much of what you're saying is like I was like, oh yeah, that and that that happened to me as well. Yeah. You know, not you know it's being really sporty I was on all the teams I was doing all the things um one of the things I wanted to ask you was did you I mean you you probably you did realize that you couldn't see the ball and see the thing but it's only like in it's in hindsight that you realize oh I couldn't I know why that that happened you know I always yeah I always, at the time you just don't you just get no I, I think it was um I've always had a whenever I read a book even when I was a child yeah. you know learn, learning to read I always had the book on the end of my nose yeah um you know and my mum and dad would pull it further away and I'd pull it back again and you know they'd take me to the opticians and like no everything's fine you don't need yeah. glasses I said well why has she got the book so close I yeah. don't know that's just you know is she reading is she fine is she happy yeah mm-hmm. that's fine just mm-hmm. let her get on with it um you know, and then when I was small, my mum would take me to the park, you know, school holidays, weekends, that kind of thing. And she would say, oh, look, there's Santa Santa over there from school. But I would never go over. Yeah. And just put it down to me being shy mm-hmm. or, you know, not very outgoing. Yeah. But when you look back now, it's like, well, she probably couldn't see them or yeah. couldn't, couldn't recognise them because yeah, yeah. Stargardt's affects your central vision, which is exactly. where you see fine detail, where you recognise people. Um, where you read where you kind of decipher colors all that kind of stuff but I I didn't realize you know I'm five I thought everyone saw the same as me yeah yeah and I think it, it wasn't until I was about 14 at school um and we were doing a maths test copying like questions from an overhead projector <laughs> given our ages away there <laughs> and I missed out an entire section I yes. didn't know and, you know, and I got my score back and it was really low. Yeah. And the maths teacher's like, you know, you've missed out this section. I'm like, did I? I yeah. didn't realise. And the parents' evening and she said to my parents and they were like, oh. And it then began the whole yeah. going yeah. to the optician. And my optician was quite old school. Um, and he would say to me, you know, there's something there at the back of your eyes. And I would see that in an older person. He said, "Not, you know, I, I don't understand it. So he'd mm-hmm. refer me to the local eye clinic. Mm-hmm. He'd go and see the paediatric eye specialist. And they'd be like, hmm, a bit of an enigma. Don't know. We'll see you in six months. Yeah. And this, this went on for several years. And it was only when my parents got really quite irate with him and said, look, you know, there must be something else, another type of test you can do. They worked out I was colourblind. Mm-hmm. 
um, in that time. And they were like, well, yeah, we could do it, but it's not very pleasant. And, you know, we'd have to put wires in our eyes and stick electrodes on our heads. And do you really want to do that? And they're like, well, if it gives us the answers, then yes. And if she's happy to do it, then yes. I'm just like, well, I'd quite like to know what's going on. Thank you. Um, so we did it. And, you know, it wasn't very nice. Sort of back in those days, it was in a in a cupboard in the hospital, quite literally, um, mm-hmm. because that type of facility and that type of testing was very, very new. Um, and my mum got a phone call from the paediatric consultant um, just before Christmas. And he was quite sheepish and said, oh, um, I'm very sorry, but it seems that you were right. And your daughter's going blind, but there's nothing we can do. Um, have a lovely Christmas and we'll see you in the new year. <laughs> and, that, and that was it. And I just yeah. said, Oh, yes. okay then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it is you exactly the same. Yeah, it's very, very, like, if I tell my story, it's exactly the same process that had gone through, you know, the opticians go to the opticians and you just, and they're selling, you know, there's no you, don't problem. Need, you don't need glasses. Well, well actually, I was, I was prescribed glasses. And I thought then in my, I think I was probably about 12 then, I thought then, well, the opticians giving me glasses, so these must work. They weren't yeah. working. But I kept telling myself, no, it's just you. You need to get used to wearing them. You need to get mm. used to using them. But they were just not working at all. And yeah, it was only going to another optician that had seen then in the back of my eyes, something's not right. And that set that that set the ball ball rolling. So yeah. I suppose the first lesson that we have from what we've just said to anybody listening is don't take the first no absolutely not <laughs> yeah. no. I mean we moved, no. we, moved, we moved on a little bit technology wise knowledge wise you know in all of those different areas and 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 opticians and medics are so much more aware of of, of different conditions now but there's still a long way to go isn't there and there's still yeah. people today who are experiencing these difficulties that we that we had that we still have and are not getting the answers that they that they need so it's about us right if if you get one answer and it's still not right you go back and go go back and you go back until you get the response that that is absolutely which is what we did do as a family actually so we were told you know the consultant said to my mum it's stargarts yeah. But back in 1995 yeah. or 94, whenever it was, mm-hmm. you couldn't just Google it, get your smartphone out <laughs> and have a look. There was nothing. Go to the library and get the encyclopedia. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it wasn't even in there. No. So it's just like, you know, what the heck is that? So eventually yeah. when we got the, the appointment to see, um, it was a different consultant and he had just recently finished his training and kind of his internship at Moorfields in London and had then transferred up to where we live. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the only person qualified to actually interpret the results from the electrodiagnostic testing, yeah. which was just like, right, okay. So I was registered partially sighted or sight impaired as it is now there and then, mm-hmm. um, told there's nothing we can do you can't be a train driver you can't be a pilot but other than yeah. that you can do whatever you want off you go and get on with your life yeah and that was it that was it so we were just like uh okay so we asked for a second opinion went to the gp who then referred us to Moorfields in london mm-hmm. we saw professor bird i don't know if you've ever seen him. Bird. He's a, he was him. absolutely he was incredible 
It's brilliant. He's amazing. <laughs> it was just That's like awesome. a breath of fresh air going to see yeah. him because when he spoke to me, he put his hand on my hand or he said my name so I knew he was talking to me. Yeah. You know, and nobody else had ever kind of done that and he was just so patient and explained everything and he was incredible so Moorfields is my go-to now it's it's like a full day trip to go exactly um, have an appointment but it's worth it and maybe we should dedicate this episode to Professor Bird I don't know where he is now but (laughs) he's he's still going strong apparently so last time I saw Professor Webster who took over from him um he still speaks to him regularly and um Professor Bird has very much still got his finger on the pulse yeah. in terms of what's going on. So yeah. that's just like, oh, that's really nice to know. That is really, really good. I know. That's brilliant. But, it, you know, it's just having that reassurance of that second opinion. It's like it's yeah. taken them so long to come mm-hmm. up with, you know, this diagnosis. Are they actually mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and even now, so when I was pregnant with my second son, um, mm-hmm. So he's now nine. I had a very sudden decline in one eye. Yeah. Um, ended up going to my local hospital as the emergency um, A&E in the eye clinic. So was seen there. They did some blood tests. I then went and saw a consultant. They're like, oh, yeah, we need to operate. And I'm just like, what? Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm, OK, I'm not entirely happy with this. Had a referral down to Moorfields, went down there and they were absolutely horrified. And they were like, no, 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 this is what it is. Look, we've done all the scans. We can yeah. show you what it is. And it was just, um, there was puckering on the membrane, um, which would naturally sort itself out, which it did. Um, and it's just like, oh, you know, that's just, even all these years on, yeah. I still wouldn't trust and put my faith in my local eye clinic, which sounds awful, you know, and it's it's brilliant that we have access to these services on the NHS but Mm -hmm. I think when it comes to something so so vital like your eyesight you do need to go somewhere specialist you need to and you need to go somewhere where you trust I I, absolutely I was born and brought up in London so yes Moorfields was the place that that went you know to to absolutely like illuminate all of these issues and then I've moved I moved about 70 or nearly 18 years ago now to the northeast of England so I live in Durham um and I still will travel to Moorfields for my appointments. People say, why don't you go to the local eye infirmary? Why won't you do... It just... I'm not saying that what they're not doing is is fantastic in the local eye infirmaries and the local places, but like you say, it's just like... It's almost like what you found, like a second... You find... You need to find that second home where Mm. people... Where you you feel that people really understand you, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Trust trust what what it is that you know and you trust what it is that you are being told and like I say it's not to say that the other eye clinics aren't going to tell you the same thing no absolutely not no what you know is just what you know so yeah finding them you know they 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 see you know stargarts on a regular basis mm-hmm. um you know and it's week in week out they have clinics with people yeah. who who present with this condition um, amongst many many others whereas locally I mean I'm in Norfolk Mm -hmm. so you know they'd never seen it before yeah um and yeah I've been told that I was an enigma um Mm -hmm. and they didn't didn't quite quite know what was going on I've been told that as well for other reasons okay (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, let's, you know, you, you spoke briefly there about when you're pregnant with your second son. I've only got one. I've got one daughter. Um, and that, that was an interesting experience because um, I was pregnant with her going through all the, the prenatal, antenatal stuff that you go through. And I none of it's accessible. <laughs> no, none of it. So you need a really good person, someone with you. We have our husbands, but you need a really good person with you to be able to kind of help you navigate this stuff. But I'm going through this, all of these steps. And then in my case, I got to a point where the medics started to question whether I should actually have a natural birth because they weren't, they they weren't sure whether the pressure of second stage labor i'm trying to remember what this what they said the pressure of second stage labor would affect my eyesight would would actually like have a you know because i still have you know sight um but to like you know to go through that labor would the would the pressure of that have have an effect they weren't sure mm. but you know that for me when i talk about that that for me was a seed of doubt planted in my head so i'm thinking am I actually going to get to see my baby's face? I want to be able to see whatever I can see of her face. So I'm not taking the risk. So as soon as they planted that seed, they said, oh, and we're going to try and find out. So we're still doing investigations. You know, you've got whatever, six months till till the baby's due. We will work on trying to find out. And I remember every single time going for my, my checkups, asking, have you got any information about whether having a natural birth will affect my my vision in a, in a detrimental way mm. no nothing still still going still you know going there was nothing coming forward well if I'm honest by by like the third or fourth appointment I was just like you know what I've made up my mind I'm not having a natural birth because it was <laughs> like <laughs> they had still hadn't come back to me. and then I think it was at like the ninth hour you know a month before she was due they said oh no it'd be fine I said you know I'm not I'm not taking the risk nice I'm just not gonna do it so you you've already said to me that you didn't know whether it was and then you've decided that it doesn't but you've taken that long to tell me and that long to I'm like do you know what let's just not even take that risk I'll just go for a a, a cesarean section which is what which is what I had to to have her but how did you feel I mean and, and then you know kind of knowing that you have a visual impairment and that you've got you're going to have an infant and there's all these new things you have to learn how did you feel when pregnancy with even your first son and your second son how did you feel during that process and then mother you know just doing motherhood as a as a visually impaired person how has that how has that been for you as an yeah it's really interesting actually because through both of my pregnancies nobody had said to me that it could you know the pressure of second stage labor could have an impact mm-hmm. so that's just like now it's like oh gosh you know how would I have felt if that had been presented to me yeah. um which it wasn't so I think the biggest thing for me when I was pregnant we've got see a six-year age gap between the two because of my chronic fatigue so it's a chronic illness um mm-hmm. I had to be at a stage in my life with my own health where I was able to manage my energy levels well on a day-to-day basis and actually have some quality of life. So because of the condition and sort of how it fluctuates, although it's fairly stable, um, I've never worked because if I did, I would have had the whole, you know, all of the energy would have gone into being at work, doing whatever job it would be, 
then would come home and then wouldn't be able to do anything. And it's like, you know, you need a balance in life. You need to be able to have fun and enjoy yourself and, you know, mm-hmm. spend time with your partner or your husband or friends and family and actually be able to go and do stuff. Whereas if I'd have taken that route, then that wouldn't have been there and probably a baby wouldn't have even been a consideration because I wouldn't have been fit and well enough and had the energy and the capacity to cope with it. So when I had my first son, my biggest, yes, I think my lack of vision came into it. And it's like, am I going to be able to to cope with a baby? You know, am I going to be able to see well enough to change its nappy and to clean it properly and care for it? That came into it. But also, I think the biggest thing for me was um, the fatigue side of things, you know, the sleepless nights. How was that going to impact on me? Um, would I be able to cope? And I can actually remember when I had him, um, I had him very early hours of, well, it was, it was at dawn. So his middle name is Aaron, but it's spelled A-R-U-N. Um, and it's Sanskrit. It means the colour of the sky at dawn. So he was born okay. as the sun was rising. Yeah. So... I was encouraged to stay in hospital overnight, um, which was in hindsight the wrong thing to do because I got no support. And, you know, there was a clock on the wall in the ward. I couldn't see it. I didn't know what time it was. Um, You know, people were coming to support me with breastfeeding and they would show you a different way each time. And it just, you know, it's all, it it was all an experience, put it that way. Um, But, my biggest thing was, am I going to be able to birth this baby? And I actually had both my boys um, as a water birth, which was the most incredible experience. Um, And I read a book, which really annoys me now that I can't remember the title of it, but it was incredibly empowering when I was pregnant, because at the time, MRSA was a thing that was quite a new thing. Um, And that was quite a scary thing as well. And it's like, my goodness, if I go into hospital, I'm probably going to get MRSA. And oh, I've got my window cleaned. <laughs> just arrived. <laughs> what was that noise? My window's cleaned. <laughs> um, so it was, it was a really, really empowering book, and it was kind of encouraging you to to go with your gut instincts and to do what you felt was right during labour and your pregnancy. And because I had always loved water. I'd been a swimmer, I'd been a competitive swimmer, and I had this background of being in water. It felt natural for me. And it was like this little seed in my head. It's like, I want a water birth. I'd really like to have a water birth. And it's just like being brave enough to vocalise that and actually say, this is what I want to do. This is on my birth plan. And this is what I want to happen. And it actually came to fruition. Um, I had a water birth. It was amazing. Um, But it was... I've lost my train of thought now with the windows being cleaned. <laughs> it's all right. That's okay. No, it's if you, fine. It's like you if you remember the name of the book, you can let me know and we'll, we'll put it up. I'll, I'll make sure that. You know. Yeah, no, it was, you know, we're going back 16 years now. Yeah. So, um, but it was just amazing. And it was just like, no, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. This is what I want to happen. And it, it all kind of slotted into place. Um, and it was an amazing experience. I can highly recommend it to anybody. Um, and then I was lucky enough to be able to have the same experience, but in a midwife-led birthing unit at the hospital, water birth again with my second second baby. So I think the difference between when you go into it, 
pardon the pun blind and you've never had a baby before you don't know what to expect you can read all the books or listen to all the books and you know hear all the advice from the many many people who want to give you their opinion Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day you have to figure out a way that's right for you and that works for you and you know that might not be what the textbook says but if it works for you and your family unit then that's fine Um, oh yeah I I can remember what now so I remember when I came home from hospital with my first baby and you know we were kind of settling into a routine and we had an amazing midwife who came around I think on on day three and she like cleared her appointments for the afternoon to spend the afternoon with us to get breastfeeding established because it just wasn't happening um she was amazing um and my husband had been on paternity leave and the first day he went back I remember sitting on the bed crying holding my baby and I was just like social services are going to come and take him away because I'm visually impaired and I've got a chronic illness I'm I can't look after a baby and it was just it was a really really intense moment um but I somehow managed to pull myself out from that and kind of like no don't be so ridiculous you can do it and just go on with it so I don't think I've done a bad job. You know, he's he's still here. He's still breathing. It's still, he's, he's still, he's still me out of house and home. I'm like, you know, every time, every time my daughter, every time Madison turns turns another year, I'm just like, yes, get her <laughs> made it. Yeah. I'm like, it's it's your birthday, but I'm celebrating, and I should be congratulated. Somebody should bring me a cake. <laughs> <laughs> Any excuse for cake? I've done a, exactly. I've done a brilliant job. Um, but so much of what you what you said, there is there is so many. There are still so many women who are visually impaired, blind, having kids, and will have exactly the same concerns and difficulties that that we have both experienced mm. through pregnancy and, and childbirth and things like that. And it, and it is just, yeah, it's just so important to find the things to not to because you can listen to so much of what is being yes. And I, I think whether, it's, whether you're it's a sweeping generalisation, society as a whole yeah. is very judgmental. so you have that added fear and pressure that it's just like oh what are people going to think of me and I've gone through most of my life worrying what people think of me and it's only sort of now I'm in my 40s like actually I don't care what people think of me yeah Um, you know it comes up up sometimes but still it is that I'm not actually that bothered what you think anymore you know and I, I remember having having Madison and just being like oh, I need to do this because this person said this or this book said this. Honestly, mm. uh, I think I, I was, it was about a week before I just threw them all out and I said, oh, I'm just, I'm just going to figure this out. I'm just going to let her, let me know what she needs and I'm going to be um, her mum and figure out what it is she's trying to tell me with the, that cry or that that noise or that, yeah, you know. Absolutely, yeah. Do that because all these people have written books. Well done, you've written the books fantastic you've sold millions of based based on your knowledge and your experience this is me and this is my child and my life absolutely 100 percent um so the boys are you know they're they're growing older you've got a 16 wait you have 16 year old and 10 year old is that about right 16 and 10 well they'll they'll be 16 and 10 this year yeah yes yeah and so how how did that happen i know (laughs) mine is 17 um she just turned 17 um, but how did how did they how do you think they have 
um, what's the, I don't know what the word is, responded or kind of dealt with having a, having a parent who is who has a visual impairment because there are there are so many things when I look back I mean she's older now but there's still so many things I look back on and think I couldn't do that for her because I couldn't do that like the other moms were doing because of my visual impairment you know to even even down to sort of taking her to a birthday party was a whole military operation because oh, yeah. I <laughs> find someone to help me take her to wherever this birthday party was and sometimes they were in fields in Durham or, you know, and I'm just yeah. like, I think someone helped me do that all of the time. So you get an invitation through the door and you then look at the date and then you're phoning around to see, well, who's free on that date? Instead of just thinking, right, I need to take her to a birthday party. It's yeah, just like, it's just no. so many extra yeah. layers and steps to yeah. to yeah. going anywhere or doing anything. Exactly. Um, you know, do to you yeah it's well they've just grown up with it so I guess they they don't really know any different they've never experienced growing up with a mum who is fully sighted Mm -hmm. so you know they will help me look for my phone if I put it down I then can't find it or you know my magnifying glass or Mm -hmm. my very attractive um glasses from the LVA clinic you know (laughs) I couldn't wear Which them. Make, I'm sorry. Make, make I me look like something out of out, outer space. I tried to wear them. I couldn't. <laughs> You're a better No, but there's some was just like, no, I'm not wearing those. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, you know, so so that they are helpful in that respect. And you know, crossing roads, you know, just walking to school yeah. and crossing roads. So like, it it really annoys me when I'm walking my son or my youngest son my eldest son he takes himself off to high school but my younger son um is just under a mile to walk to his junior school and we have to cross quite a number of roads and I'm aware that people with children are crossing roads like diagonally across the mouth of a junction or you know and I'm just thinking why are you doing that that's Mm -hmm. not safe and you're teaching you're modeling to your children behavior that actually when you let go of the apron strings and say right you can walk to school if you were to then follow them and watch them doing that you'd be horrified but yet there you are modeling that to them and saying no no, it's okay we can go across here and go across there and we can jaywalk and it's like use the crossings they are there for a reason Mm-hmm. you know we might have to indent further up a road so that you know if someone was to suddenly whiz around the corner they've got time to see you rather than yeah. you actually end up on their car bonnet because you're yeah. crossing on the corner so it's just extra things like that that they've they they've grown up with and become aware of um um you know I don't recognize my own kids if I'm out I don't recognize my husband don't recognize my mum you know the number of times we've gone shopping and I've then like latched onto somebody else and started talking to them and they're like um I'm not who you think I'm like oh I'm very sorry (laughs) you know in in the days when I didn't use a cane it was you know they would look at you like it's like who the hell are you whereas now I'm a very proud long cane user um you know it's self-explanatory but for so long I just wanted to fit in and be like everybody else that I wouldn't use it yeah. um so obviously when the boys were small they would be in the push chair I didn't use a cane um you know it's only been in the last two years that I have 
although I had cymbal cane training when I was first diagnosed at the age of 15, 16. Um, so I guess the pushchair was all, almost your cane. Sort of, yeah. So, you know, yeah. it would it would tell me where the, the curb dropped or if there was like manhole covers and stuff like that. And it was it was subconscious. Mm. um so it wasn't thinking oh okay well you know when the pushchair wheels go over this and it sounds like that that means it's you know x y or z it was it was it's just like coping strategies and you kind of evolve and develop them without really being aware of them as you go through life yeah yeah and Um, I I was I didn't have that simple cane training I've never had um independent living skills training so you have you you got that I didn't get that I'm not sure why. I'm not sure whether I suppose it'd be something to ask my mum if if they ever offered it. But I know that I'd never received anything like that. So, like you say, it was it's just been a process of going through life and building the coping mechanisms. You know, mm-hmm. obviously, never drive. I always think about the the, the example of not driving, not being yes. able to drive. So you are getting on public transport all the time, but you need to you often you you do need to be able to see like so for instance if you're standing at the bus stop you need to be able to see the bus number that's coming oh I just ask I say, tell me what number this is please yeah yeah what number bus is that like if you're on your own and, and especially coming out of like in London there's always someone in the North yes. sometimes not so much and if you um I'm sure the buses are supposed to stop at every stop but they don't. But there's drivers who will not do that if they don't. No, see and you have out, to flag them down as well. Exactly. You don't, yeah, I've, I've flagged down dustbin lorries before. Yeah, I've done that. <laughs> I've done that. And then you know you just kind of laugh it off. But you know, so a lot of the buses that they don't they don't stop. And it, you're talking about you know having a child and growing up with a visual impairment, and then not me not having a cane or a dog or anything like that. I was like, well, darling, you're going to be my. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so you're like, okay, what do I need to teach this child first? Numbers. Teach the numbers. numbers. <laughs> I need to teach her numbers. That's what I need to do. And I remember one day I, we were going out. I was taking her into, into town and we were going out. She probably was about three years old. She was probably about three, probably nearly four years old. And uh, we were standing at the bus stop and I said, right, Madison, what? No-? I could see that it was a bus coming. I could distinguish at least because it was close enough, I suppose. And I could see that it was not a lorry, but I have flagged down lorries and, yeah. you know, all kinds of things. They sound quite similar with, like, the diesel yeah, engines. Do. I know. So I said, well, what? okay, so I see the bus was coming, but I couldn't see what number it was. I said, right, tell me, t- can you tell mummy what, n- what the numbers are on that bus? And so she's looking, looking, and then she said, mm, one, two. I said, right. And so I'm standing there thinking, the 12 doesn't come past here. What bus is <laughs> <laughs> She'd read the numbers backwards. Yeah, 21. <laughs> but she told me it was 1 and 2, 12. And I was thinking, this is not like, I was like, and I had to do a really quick like, take and think, right, that those are 21. That's the bus we need. <laughs> yeah. But I, I always was, ask when I get on, it's like, is this the 28 or is this the 29? Because yeah. I was like, right, I know, know where I'm going yeah. then. But sometimes I'm even that stubborn. And you talk about the perfectionism and not wanting to be like, you know, not wanting to be different or anything like that. And sometimes that comes still comes up in me. Yeah. And I will just get on the bus. I won't even ask. <laughs> and so it will take it will take a little while before I'm like, I don't recognize where I am. Yeah, this, this <laughs> is not the direction I was meant to go in. OK, can I get off? <laughs> oh, 
honestly and I'll still do that and I'm like 41 years old and I'll still do stuff like that today and it's just it's just crazy but it's just when you think about those little things you know as frustrating as they can be at that point you you still you can still learn from them can't you and they're still absolutely yeah and you can look back and laugh at them as well exactly and laugh at yourself and just say can you just can you just ask the bus driver where he's going where he's where he's going you know (laughs) it, it may you know Yes, it is easier if you have a cane or, or you have a dog because the bus driver will then be very aware. But because I move around and nobody really knows until I tell them, they, you know, you kind of don't want to look like, oh, you're just being lazy. Or one other thing is that I don't want to seem like I'm like not able to read or tell the, or, or yeah. do you know, there's that, that weird kind of, they're going to think yeah. I can't read. I, or, I have to say that since using the cane so I I actually went on to YouTube to watch some videos to refresh my memory on how to use my simple cane yeah and because it had been 20 something years since it had gone away in the cupboard Mm -hmm. and it had been a mobility instructor that I'd had um a male one um he was covering sick leave and he's just like you know you're a young female it's making you more vulnerable so it went away in the cupboard it never came out again um but then when I got it back out again and I watched some like videos to refresh refresh my memories oh yeah okay I can do this and I was using it around my house and it's like this isn't long enough for me I need something longer so I then had um, a guide cane which has a like a marshmallowy roller tip thing on the end Mm -hmm. so it's it's longer than a symbol cane and you use it differently Um, so I used that for a while and I then it'd been like this mental shift in my head that it's like actually I'm tripping down curbs, I'm tripping up curbs, I'm bumping into things, I'm finding it more difficult to read. In even like the massive price labels on some items in shops, it's like I just can't see them anymore. You know, things are going downhill. And it was just coming to that acceptance in my own head and not being stubborn that things aren't going to get better, they're going to get worse. Um, I need to do something positive and proactive about it in order to make my life easier and for it not to be so stressful and you know to help reduce that anxiety of you know when you're going out and about and you know having to ask somebody what bus number is that and they just kind of look at you it's like well why can't you read it um so I I actually attended um a two-day course which is run by the RNIB um I think it's called living with sight loss and I thought oh do you know what I've been diagnosed donkey's years there's probably nothing new the amount of tips I picked up from doing that course locally and I think they're currently doing them um via the telephone at the moment obviously because of covid etc um but it was just amazing and it was just like why have I struggled for all these years trying to get toothpaste onto my toothbrush Mm -hmm. when I can just quirt it straight onto my tongue yeah and it's just like oh my goodness and it's like this massive light bulb really simple things that they make such a difference though and we we had somebody come in from guide dogs and was kind of explaining the process of um applying for a guide dog and we had somebody else um from the local mobility service um Mm. who they teach cane training independent living skills that kind of thing Mm. and I spoke to her and I said look you know I would quite like to find out about long cane training, but if I go down that route, is there kind of any going back? If I have a long cane, 
can I then not use my symbol cane? Because at that point, I was just kind of getting used to using my guide cane. I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to jump in and have this long cane. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, you know, you can use whatever is appropriate for you in whatever circumstance and situation you're in. So I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. That's kind of reassuring to know. So I had my guide cane training. Um, it was two summers ago now. So whenever that was, I don't yeah. even know what day of the week it is, what year it is. Um, so I, I had that long cane training. And honestly, the difference it has made in terms of my confidence, um, it's been really handy actually for social distancing because people just get out of your way. So it's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> so it's got some perks. Yeah. But, you know, the difference it's made has been incredible. It's just so much more confident. Um, people will ask you if you need help. Um, mm-hmm. You know, people in shops are very helpful, whereas when I didn't use anything, you wouldn't get any of that. Yeah. So just having that visual cue for people and yes some people just don't get it at all and don't understand and I have people who jump over it whilst I'm sweeping it in front of me as I walk um and then they trip up but that's their lookout um you know and some people might argue that actually my site hasn't got to a, a stage where I need to use it but for me it gives me so much more confidence. Yeah. So, you know, I don't leave the house without it. He's called Michael. Michael Kane. Don't mess with me. Okay. <laughs> That's so funny. I mean, this is just you do need to use you need to use what you you need to use, don't you? Yeah, and it absolutely. Block, I suppose it's that mindset block that we that we all experience, we all have experienced that as visually impaired um people especially women you know that what what's it going to look like what are people going to think does it make more vulnerable you know how can I make this work for me you know it isn't just as simple as saying here's a cane here's a dog here's this here's that no it's it's that it's the the mental baggage and the emotional baggage that goes with it and come come and 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 it's not something that we can just fix you know one time and say right I'm okay with this it's a continuous process mm. you know it's every day I think one, one t- you know I've said before that there's times there's days when I think I am superwoman I could do anything Put it in <laughs> yes. front of me. I'll get it done don't don't worry about me I'll be fine no issue here you know visually mm. impaired what what's that and then other days I'm like this is crap yeah you know you could be a sobbing mess rocking in the corner exactly yeah I'm not doing that you should know I'm disabled don't ask me to do anything because I'm not doing it (laughs) you know and it is that kind of emotional roller coaster that you go on and that we continue we continue to be on I mean I'm I'm hoping I'm a little bit more balanced than I was even 10 years ago but I don't know (laughs) some people might say not I think I am. I'm doing really well. But, you know, other people might say, no, you, you still have issues. But, yeah, and I'm like, and so do you. But <laughs> it's just, it, it is acknowledging that, you know, as, as people without disabilities have difficulties. You know, they yes. have things that they're dealing with all of the time. They have things that they have, they struggle with. When you add a disability onto that, and that's what it is it does it does compound 
you know, your level of struggle, your level of, mm-hmm. of need. and then you're saying you, you have a health condition as well on that. And yeah. still trying to do the things that you need to do to have a life that is that is full and that that works for you and that you know you can still keep moving forward. So yeah, yeah totally. Just, I, and I think for a long time it's you know it's this whole fear of judgment and other people's opinions and it's taken me a long long time and sort of through a personal development journey mm-hmm. um I've kind of gone down the, the route of holistic well-being yeah. um and I support and coach other people now mm-hmm. with their own health journeys and you know it's, it's very much about mindset and you, mm-hmm. I've learned that actually other people's opinions don't matter that's their opinion and what they think or what they don't think has no impact on how I lead my life on a daily basis you know at the end of the day their opinion isn't going to pay my bills or you know isn't going to put a meal on the table Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know and it's that's their opinion and you just kind of let go of that and it's just you know again it's like breaking free of another yeah more shackles as it were yeah yeah and the more of us that kind of kind of you know recognize our stories and our journeys and tell those and tell those stories and and say you know that the 15 year old girl now who's listening who might have got hold of this this episode of the of the podcast and just is listening to it maybe she's walking out of Moorfields right now I don't know whoever's listening to it is listening she's hearing two women who were diagnosed exactly the same time as her and have lived a little bit and have been through the experiences and still done the things that, you know, she may be dreaming of doing, having a family, working, whatever. And we'll just know that actually it's not going to be easy, but it's still possible. It's still possible. Absolutely. My kind of mantra and sort of train of thought is that anything is achievable and possible. You might have to go a different route to get yep. to the end result but absolutely you know if, if somebody tells you you can't say you know you can't do something it's like well why not why can't I yeah. obviously with things like driving that was the one yeah, thing yeah, that got, yeah. that got me say, it's like, no, like, like there's, there's certain things like being a pilot might have been an issue for you like I'm just saying <laughs> <laughs> no it wasn't really wasn't or a train driver but being told oh you'll never be able to drive that's just yeah. like Oh, because at the time I had a part-time job yeah. um, and I was saving my money for driving lessons and to buy my first car. Yeah. And that was just like wrenched away from me. And yeah, even yeah. now at 42, mm-hmm. that still annoys me sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I still, because yeah. you haven't got that autonomy and that independence thinking, yeah. oh, I just need to get X from, you know, I need to go and get four pints of milk from the supermarket. Yeah. I'll just jump in the car and go. Now it's yeah, thinking, yeah. right, okay, what's the time? Have I what's- got enough time to get there and get back before... I need to do the school pickup yeah. and you know is that cut through dark. open still yeah. before it gets dark is that yeah. cut through open are they still doing roadworks there am I going to have to go a different route and it's just all this extra stuff that you have yeah. to to process and work your way through but it's still doable Absolutely. um and I think for people who don't face any whether it's a sensory challenge, whether it's um, physical challenges or limitations due to health conditions, whatever it might be, they just mm-hmm. don't get it. Yeah. yeah, but it's and, yeah, it's yeah. it's bizarre. It's hard to it, it is hard to describe. You know, Lou, we could sit here talking for hours. I'm pretty sure we'd be like <laughs> we probably could actually, <laughs> we, and and we will and we'll do we'll do more. We will do more. I may I don't, I don't even know how long we've been talking and may have this may have to be a two part <laughs> episode. <laughs> but it's been great, and there's been so many things that you have that you have 
brought to us, you know, um, about living with a with a visual impairment and just what it means to go through life, you know, and, and God willing, we have another 40, 50 years to live and there's still so many lessons to learn. And I'm, I'm excited about that. I don't know about you, but I'm really excited about what's to come and how many more people we can impact with our stories and, and the, and the lessons that we're learning along the way. Mm. And, and it's like, just giving hope to people as well. Exactly. Yeah. And you can still live well with sight loss. Like, yeah. It's not the end of the world. Limited. And I know a lot of people do struggle with that and, you know, they have that diagnosis and it's just mm. like, Oh, well, you know, what's the point anymore? Yeah. But you know, that's, it's not the end of the world. It's- and you can still go out point. and lead a full yeah. and active life yeah. if you choose to and it you know again it's coming back to that whole mindset thing yeah there's abs- that absolutely is a point and you know I I met you on Instagram I just kind of you know I I'm, I'm new to this whole social media game I'm fairly new <laughs> you're and a I'm secret not, stalker <laughs> I'm not whether I like it that much but I'm there <laughs> yeah it, um, it's a way of connecting with people though because you know if you yeah. go out somewhere yeah. And yeah, you know, I don't recognise people. So how do I know who looks dodgy or who looks, you know, all right to speak to? You you just can't tell. No, you can't Whereas, tell. you know, on social media it just takes that barrier away. Yeah, yeah. It does. So it, I find I find it helpful from that point of view. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I am kind of I'm, I'm I'm watching what you're what you're doing and and, and providing you know the inspiration that you that you feel that you can bring to the table and you're absolutely you absolutely are doing doing that so um firstly where can people kind of find you on the social media if they wanted to kind of look at like the posts that you're posting out and things that you're things that you're doing where can people find you okay so i'm on instagram um my handle i think that's the right right yeah. phrase <laughs> is <laughs> at authentic our age Sorry. Yeah, at authentically underscore Lou, L-O-U. Um, I'm also on Facebook as well. Um, and I have a Facebook group um, called Healthier and Happier Living with Louise. So I can actually send you the link and go in the show notes for that. Yeah, and it's it's just a case of like empowering and lifting people up and mm-hmm. you know, inspiring people. And yeah. you know, I share stuff like podcasts and recipes, mm-hmm. books mindful quotes yeah. um articles on self-care and it's just about filling your own cup up first and looking after yourself and I think especially as mums you know when you've got children particularly when they're small you are bottom of the, that priority list yeah. and you know it needs to be the other way around you've got to look after yourself fill your own cup up first so that you're able to then support those around you so whether it be babies toddlers children husbands wives whatever it might be mm. you know you you need to be well in yourself physically mentally and emotionally in order to be able to give to other people absolutely um, that's, a hard so, lesson, that's a hard lesson to learn I'm learning that yeah um, you are, but it's, it's you know it is a very difficult lesson to learn and we usually only learn it when we reach the end of ourselves or near exactly. enough yeah ourselves, it's almost too late somebody can hear this and just be kind of in the middle of their struggle and, and change course so that they are making sure that they are looking after themselves and that yeah. is and, then that and it doesn't have to be huge things either you know I think there's a, a a misconception that you have to make massive changes like with the beginning yes. of a new year it's like oh new year's resolutions I need to be a new me exactly no you don't you just need to be the real you yeah 
the you that's happy and the you yeah. that does things that makes yourself happy. And, you know, it can be little small changes that can have this massive, massive impact on the rest of your life. So it could be I need to drink. um, I'm going to commit to drinking two litres of water a day because it's good for my body. It's good for my brain to help me stay hydrated and focused. And actually, it will help my body to work better. And just doing something as simple as that can have huge positive effects and benefits on your health Mm -hmm. and your mental health as well. I mean, no, we, haven't, we haven't even touched on mental health but, no you know, we haven't and that's we will with do that. like, yeah sight loss yeah. and the mental health is just exactly. a you know it's a whole other episode I absolutely <laughs> another episode and you, and you kind of read my mind because water is the thing that I just I don't know I just don't drink water I need to drink water <laughs> I need to drink water I do a lot of exercise but I don't drink enough of, you know anyway enough of my issues um <laughs> So before we drink go, more I'm, water, Bambi. I know, I know. Um, it's been so great. But before we kind of wrap up this, our first conversation of, <laughs> I'm sure, um, can you give the listeners just um, the name of a book, a podcast, a film, something that has brought you quite a lot of inspiration and, and helped you um, through through this journey that you that you've spoken so so freely about. Oh, wow. Um, Gosh, that's really hard. (laughs) So my personal development journey, personally, only started about four years ago. Mm -hmm. So as I mentioned earlier, I used to be a massive bookworm and would literally devour books. And it got to the point where I had to transition to large print books Mm -hmm. in my teens. And there's only a certain kind of type of genre of books in large print. Mm-hmm. And I'd read all of them and yeah. there was like nothing else. And I couldn't access magazines because of like the colours of font and the size of font and backgrounds and all that jazz. Kindles weren't a thing. Yeah. So I stopped reading and I stopped mm-hmm. reading for many, many, many years um, until I got a Kindle and was able to like have massive text. But yeah. even then, for me, it was it is not the same as actually physically turning pages in a book. Yeah. Um, so like that magic had had gone to a certain extent um but then I discovered audible um we and it was audible. just like wow this <laughs> yes. is amazing That's <laughs> so um yeah it's it's just incredible so the only thing I ever listened to on audible are personal development books mm-hmm. um so I've read quite a number over the last three or four years or listened to quite a number but the one that I always come back to um is by a lady called Mel Robbins and it's the five second rule so she's got a TED talk which is just amazing it's been downloaded and watched by millions and millions of people she's on social media she's an American lady which for some people that's not their cup of tea she's very forthright um she doesn't hold back she does swear um but what she says makes absolute total sense and basically the the five second rule was she created this rule because she was in a very dark place um her and her husband they were bankrupt his business was going down the pan she'd lost her job she was depressed and their marriage was on the rocks and she was just like you know what is there to live for this you know there is nothing and she didn't want to get up in the morning she'd constantly snooze her alarm and then would then be running late throughout the day always be on the back foot playing catch up all day long and one morning I thought well she'd seen a a program on 
TV the night before about a rocket launching. Yeah. So the next morning, like when her alarm went off, she five, four, three, two, one, and then she got out of bed. And that is how she got through every scenario in her life throughout her day at that time that she found challenging. Mm. And, you know, it's all to do with the prefrontal cortex in your brain. And you've got five seconds basically before your brain will talk you out of an instinct of something that you want to do. So for instance, you could think, oh, you know, I need to, I need to go and, I don't know, go to the shop and buy some milk, for example. But then you've got that whole scenario that we've just spoken about. It's like, okay, I need to be back before it's dark. I need to um, cross roads. I need to do this. And you can then talk yourself out of it mm-hmm. so, so easily. But if you, five, four, three, two, one, right, shoes on, I'm out the door. Yeah. Job done. Yeah. And it's just that mental shift. And it's just, it's small things that can just add up to make that big, big difference. Absolutely. That, um, book, that book is brilliant. And I, and I loved yeah. it. I read it. And then I was hooked on Mel Robbins. And then there's other things that I've read of hers. And I think she's just yeah. a new book, hasn't she? She has a high five habit. Yeah. I think I might have a slight female crush on her, but um, yes. we won't go into that. <laughs> I know, but she's, it is it is really, really good. And then to kind of read those books, any personal development book and look at yeah. it from the perspective of a visually impaired, visually impaired person is 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 interesting so yeah I'll you know the high five habit is is one of your many recommendations um yeah high five habit the five second rule Uh, there's there's just so many so so many yeah and have you got one piece of advice that you would give this the shoes of VIP community is for is specifically for women and girls with a visual impairment you know um we are women with a visual impairment and we know the kind of you know the 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 difficulties that we can face as women so uh, that's that's the kind of group that this is targeted to so have you got one piece of advice for particularly a woman or a girl who is visually impaired or blind um that you think would would help them uh I would say that there is always a way around obstacles, whether it be physical obstacles when you're out and about, whether it be mental obstacles. So again, you know, you can work on your mindset. Um, and if you need some support or you know, ideas or inspiration or chat about that, please feel free to, to get in touch because I love, that's what I love doing. Um, emotional obstacles, you know, never think, I can't do that because of my visual impairment. There's always a way around it. And, you know, that's, I was that person who thought I can't do that because I'm blind. I can't do that because I can't see, I can't do that. And it's just shifting that story and that narrative in your head to, I can't do that because of my visual impairment, but I can achieve it by doing it this way. And, you know, you can still get to the same end result, but you might have to go the scenic route to get there. So it's it's believing in yourself, believing in your capabilities, being empowered and surrounding yourself actually with people that believe in you and lift you up. So, yeah, it's hard to do if you've got people that you live with or that are in your family or maybe in your workplace that are quite negative because they can like suck the, the energy and the, and the mm-hmm. belief and the positivity out of you. Mm-hmm. But if you can really focus on surrounding yourself with people that are cheerleading and lifting you up and cheering you on to be the best version of you, 
then that's great that's you know something to aim for and something to very much have in your life and I think through life and as you grow older um you you get to understand and realize who your real friends are so I think when you're younger you think oh I need to have loads of friends and to be popular and blah 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 blah. but actually you keep your circle small and have them have that circle of genuine friends who actually really care for you and have got your back no matter what not on a superficial level if that makes sense yeah that, that does Lou you are amazing you've been oh, thank you brilliant honestly I could sit here and talk to you all day and just not well and might have to go for a toilet break or get a drink but... <laughs> well you know I've got okay. carpet shopping planned this afternoon but I could cancel yeah. that and we could just carry on <laughs> we could just carry on who needs a carpet just sit and talk to me all well day. we do actually but <laughs> But thank you so much. And you oh, we definitely um, have you know more conversation. You'll be back and we'll do we'll 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 look at how we can collaborate and just bring bring this next generation of, of visually impaired girls and women through to a place where they are achieving exactly what, what they need to, yeah. um, to do and doing that. I, I have to tell you, there's um when I first started using my long cane and I went out and it was you know, I felt like everybody's eyes were on me and I'm not a person that likes being the centre of attention. You know, I'd rather the ground opened up and swallowed me. But I had uh, a song from The Greatest Showman that would play on loop in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's This and Is I, Me. This and is I, would me. Walk, I, this, I, this, like... I would walk down the road yeah. and it'd be, you know, I would be singing that in my head. And that is what got me through. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah it's just, yeah find find something that just resonates with you and you know let it be your mantra if you're having a bad day put that song on just to lift you up and empower and inspire you again music can be so 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 powerful Um, and it's just finding that one track which just like yes this is me yeah brilliant brilliant yeah, I'm really go and go and listen to that song because it yeah, it helps me as well. It helps me a lot. Yeah, I cry every time I li- I hear it, but it's <laughs> it's happy tears. It's all right if you're crying down the street. You don't care what anyone thinks of you anyway. No, <laughs> no, their opinion doesn't matter. <laughs> no, absolutely fine. Oh, thanks so much. And Absolute pleasure. We will be in touch on on Instagram, and we will definitely we'll definitely catch up again soon. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you so much, Bambi. Thanks so much. I hope that you've been able to relate and take inspiration from what Louise has spoken about today. And please make sure that you share this episode with someone else who you think would benefit from hearing the conversation. In the show notes, you'll find links that will help you connect with Louise. You can contact her by email and she is on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the podcast and share. We're really close to reaching the first 1,000 downloads. It would be great to reach that milestone and reach more women who need to hear this content. Until next week, remember that your status as a VIP means more than simply being known as a visually impaired person. You are a very important person who holds a very important place in the world and you have a very important purpose to fulfill.